Welcome to the Good Life Fitness Podcast, 30 Minutes With. I'm your host, Tim Canny. Today, my guest is National Manager of Facility Services, Duncan Mitchell. We're going to find out how to create an environment where people excel, what it takes to get your team to bring their A game, and how do you turn jumping out of a plane into a hobby? So welcome to the show, Duncan. How are you doing? Uh, Tim, I'm a 10. <laughs> I like that. As, as, is, as is the custom. Yeah. You know what? Things are good. We are full of optimism this sunny afternoon as we get closer to a reopening in Ontario. We're getting busier and busier around the country as well, um, both in the gyms and on our end with club services. So it's, uh, it's a good week this week. It's so good to hear. Well, you know, I think the best thing we could do right now is let people get to know you a bit first. So tell us your good life story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have been with Good Life just a little over seven years at this point. I joined the company in Calgary. I was, was living and working in Calgary and had come into contact with Good Life a little bit. I was working in the industry on the service and maintenance side of things and was connected with Sean McKinnon, you know, our VP of club services. And yeah, met, met with Sean and he said, hey, we're looking for people. They were looking for an area supervisor, particularly in the Calgary market. And back in 2014, the company was really gaining momentum in the West. We were building a lot of clubs. Uh, they'd done the big golds takeover fairly recently. And there was a lot of work to do and um, a lot happening in the West. It was a, a really neat opportunity. And without knowing maybe as much as I should have done about good life and the, the size and scale of good life, I kind of jumped in with both feet and um, had a really great experience getting started with good life and um, we had to very quickly expand the team out there we were we were short of service technicians and uh, the crew that were working there were doing a great job but the the company was moving a little quicker than than club services was in in that market and kind of calgary and edmonton and yeah we jumped in we we found some good people i got a ton of support from ontario and from the club services office but also a ton of autonomy which was was really neat kind of build things as, as we could and as we went. And the roles just kind of kept expanding. You know, I took on Manitoba as well as part of my service region. And as we kind of built more momentum in Saskatchewan, we absorbed that into, uh, into the group that I worked with as well. Kind of fast forward to a couple of years ago, an opening for the national manager role overseeing the, the, the in-house service technician program came up. And um, yeah, interviewed for it. It seemed like a good fit. My wife um, was willing and able to move from Calgary to uh, to Kitchener, uh, Waterloo. And so we landed in KW, what would that have been, end of 2019. Um, and we, yeah, we've been here ever since. Um, kind of had, had some success building out the team. Obviously, COVID has been a nightmare for our industry, but we are very happy to be and coming out the other side of it, rebuilding our team, rebuilding um, the clubs, and like I said, gaining a ton of momentum again. So yeah, that's my my good life um, good life career in a nutshell. So talk a bit about the the club services team itself. I mean, because you you, you're, you talked about the scope, and the scope is big. Like with Good Life, you know, over four hundred clubs, you know, big facilities, high usage. You know, talk a little bit about what your club service team is responsible for. Yeah, absolutely. So club services, I, I kind of always say that if it breaks, it's on us to fix it. And that could be everything from a treadmill to a shower through windows, millwork, um, kind of everything that encompasses a good life outside of that, basically outside of the people within it, the staff and the members, um, everything building related, facility related, equipment related, 
and anything service and maintenance um, comes back through us. And so, I mean, it's it's a little easier to talk kind of pre-COVID numbers because that's obviously where we're um, where we're we're marching back towards as as quickly as we can here. Pre-COVID, we had about 150 people in the department. We have, you know, preventative maintenance technicians, pool service technicians, an AV team that are out um, working on those specialist items, as well as a really, you know, a really broad variety of kind of skills and support in terms of HVAC specialists, some of our kind of our other facility management specialists who who focus on things like cleaning programs and, and building maintenance. So we work very closely with club design and construction on kind of new builds and major renovations. We work with the property management team and then you know, everything for the day-to-day kind of health of the the facilities themselves uh, and everything within it. We've got a, a an incredible team and, you know, the, like I said, I've, I've been around here for seven years, which has been really wonderful. And then we've got people in our department that have been here since, um, almost since year one. Wow. Yeah. And you, I mean, you lead a big team and you, you basically gave us the list and it's not a short list of what is on your plate in terms of responsibility. Things need to work. If they don't work, the members can't use it and it's just bad for business. So how do you, how would you say you get a team, get your team to excel at their job? Um, oh man, it's, that's, it's such a wonderful topic and something I feel quite passionately about, um, something that I'm always kind of trying to get better at and, and trying to do better at. But I, first and foremost, want to create an environment where people want to come to work and good life as a company does a good, a really good job of that and makes that fairly easy and then you know my my big driving force is always let's create an environment that people want to be involved in and want to be proud of and now with a with a service team that means providing really high level service and we have as i mentioned we've got some so many people who have such a like high level skill and i strolled into a team that was incredibly driven and continues to be incredibly driven and incredibly proud of of the work that they do so my big focus is is trying to maintain that momentum trying to make sure people do feel supported in their work and feel like what they're doing means something, which a business like Good Life is is really easy, right? Because it's easy to say kind of the Good Life phrases, but we are giving people an opportunity to to live healthy and um, to be healthy and be the best versions of themselves. And when it comes to the club staff and everybody at club level servicing members, it's great to feel and to be a part of that. So really, yeah, just making sure that our crews you know, understand how important our work is to that that big picture and really just continuing to kind of support and foster those those good vibes. I really like that. And, you know, and I, I think you need to have that buy in first. And you, you talked about creating an environment where people like to come to work. Well, they, they got to believe in what they're working for and they got to believe in the people they work with. So and you, you talked a bit about their best. And, you know, we, we would say that bringing your best is bringing your A game. And I, I found this great quote from Will Smith. He says, I never viewed myself as particularly talented. Where I excel is ridiculous, sickening work ethic. You know, while the other guy's sleeping, I'm working. So what would you say defines a game for you? I will very often look at that in terms of effort as much as anything. One of the things that I think people, for people to really excel and for people to really feel like they're being successful, they have to have room to make mistakes. And mistakes will happen. It doesn't matter what you're doing, how you're doing it. 
things will occasionally not go the way you want them to. And whether that's something that you did or something that somebody else did or some environmental piece that will, will prevent you from getting the results that you want. I will always look at intention first. And if you are, if, if you have the, the best intention, if you are doing the best that you can and you make a mistake, people need to be supported and, and have room to make those mistakes without being made to feel bad about it. You know, it's those, we always, you always want a mistake to be a learning experience if something comes up, right? So I think giving people the room to kick ass and do the best that they can and know that if something doesn't, if, if the result isn't exactly what they want or exactly what we want, knowing that they'll still be supported and coached and given the opportunity to, to get it next time. Um, I think that helps people bring their A game. Um, you know, it's a, a game to me isn't perfection. A game is, um, is giving your all, you know, celebrating the wins and, you know, everybody kind of learning from, from the misses. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you talked about in terms of intention. Cause I mean, you know, sometimes we, I, well, we'll, we'll know our associates are going to fear failure because they feel like there's going to come a reprimand. But if it's like, are you trying, like, what were you trying to attempt? What were you trying to get done? How are you trying to do it? Let's, let's help you become better rather than, you know, constantly bash somebody down. It comes down to, I guess, inspiration. So like, how would you inspire your team to bring their A game? Um, a bit of a mix. I mean, I've, I've, I've spent many, many years myself kind of physically doing the work that I oversee. I'm decent at it. I'm, I wouldn't pretend to think that I know everything about everything. Of course I don't. The, but, but being willing, I've always, I've, I'm always willing and able to get in and do the work itself. And many a day, I mean, obviously the last year has been, been crazy and disrupted and I've done plenty of work in clubs, um, you know, dealing with floods and security issues and everything else over the last year during closures. Um, but when we're open, getting out, you know, every week and, and working with our technicians, even if it's only a little bit, or it might be a full club install um, or everything in between. But I mean, for me personally, being willing to go and do the work and um, get involved and um, kind of physically support people in terms of, of creating a, a good environment to do the work day to day. Um, in terms of the, the bigger picture with what I do, you know, how successful we are at club services and, and some of the positive impact I think I've had here, it's mostly been deferring to people that are, have different skill sets than I do and relying on the great leadership that exists within our department. You know, when I look at our, our regional facility managers, um, and some of the incredible skills and the strengths that they have, you know, being very willing to defer to them and, you know, let them call their shots. We're going to have department direction and company direction, but, but trusting our, you know, our people to do a good job and tackle projects and problems the way they see fit um, is really important. And I think giving, again, giving people the room to succeed is overall a positive and makes people feel like they can go and succeed and does inspire people to to come and give it their all because they know that they can do that and be successful and will celebrate that um so yeah i mean a big a big thing is if i'm not you know in in the trenches i'm available I, it's something that i i feel very strongly about is being available to the crew and um knowing that people can reach me um if they need me I can, you know, provide direction or just back them up and, and know, kind of let them understand and, and trust their own instincts and that they've made good decisions. 
Um, but yeah, really deferring to to our other other skilled people a lot and letting them um, guide their crews the way they they see fit and lead the charge on on some of the you know the really challenging work that we do sometimes. Um, and and celebrating those wins is is really important for me. You bring up two great points. You know, one is leading by example, and two is bringing the team into the conversation. Because I think so often do we build that hierarchy of like, well, you know, you are the manager, you are the leader, you have the say, and it's and I and I like that you're able to really identify who on your team has that additional skill set or more expertise in that particular area and will draw on those expertise and go to them. Cause I think it really just, it boosts engagement in a team. When we do that, they feel more involved, they feel more connected and it actually goes back to the same thing. That, that intention you talked about the passion for doing the work that they do will only, you know, amplify if we continually do that. Absolutely. And, you know, and there's, my, I mentioned before my background coming into Good Life was fitness equipment service, and um, you know that the, the very much the equipment side of of the business, and you know building management, facility management, and a lot of those other pieces were not things I'd spent a ton of time in. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah, there are people with far more skill for doing that side of of the service work that we do. So you know I can take a hopefully take a big picture and and figure out who is best suited to do what and and get the results with yeah like really utilizing utilizing people's skills and then you know taking opportunities to to build those skills for people if they don't have them so let's say you have a b player or a c player on your team how do you how do you lift them up how do you get them to be an a um that depends on what makes them a B or a C player, I guess. Mm-hmm. Difficult, it's a tricky thing to kind of paint somebody with that brush and say, you know, you're not. And it's, it, I mean, it's a key part of being in a leadership role, but it's also one of the toughest parts of being in a leadership role, right? Yeah. Is when somebody is struggling. Um, I mean, first and foremost, it's always going to be trying to get down to the why. Why are they not able to bring their A game? You know, and let's first off look at what what support are we providing or or likely more importantly, what support are we not providing? And um, that means they're not able to um to kind of to excel and to to bring their best. If we can identify early on something that we can do and maybe that's just a lack of training on something specific. Maybe that's uh, a, a, a personality clash with somebody. If we can drill down into the why very quickly, that's always going to be my first challenge: is find out why and let's try and work through that that piece. You know, I I, I never want to, and I I never want our other leaders to. You know, the the first assumption should never be, well, it's you know, they have a bad attitude. It's that that thing about not telling ourselves stories, right? Have a conversation, be upfront about it. Um, ask questions, find out what what we can do to um, to support them first, mm-hmm. and then you know if it comes, it's that rare time where it's just somebody doesn't want to be here or you know doesn't want to bring their best. Then you kind of you can work through that. But yeah, my first assumption will always be: what are we missing? What are we not providing? What support are we not bringing to the table to help you be your best? Um, and I think approaching most situations from that aspect generally help people get comfortable and then, yeah, be, be open about what the challenges might be and then we can work through them. But as I said before, I mean, so much of it comes down to intention, right? It's 
it, it's we're lucky in that doing what we do and who we get to work with and the way our technician team gets to to work with you know through a handful of different clubs in in each of their regions that it's great for an engage from an engagement perspective because people are seeing you know different gyms different areas of the business different people within the business and different members who see us and call out what we do and yeah it just comes down to that culture of support right support and understanding and make sure that if we provide the environment that we want to provide, then people will generally bring their problems forward first before before we or somebody else highlights, a, you know, call it a, a B or C player concern about somebody's quality of work or attitude. I think if we if we do it do it the best job we can about creating that good environment in the first place, um, you know, we're generally able to support people through challenges before they um, before they get too big. Yeah, and it really comes down to creating that level of engagement. If they're engaged, they're going to want to do their best and goes back to what you talked about, about being that A player, because then, you know, you're ultimately creating an environment where people are going to do their best. So, you know, you you shouldn't have them. If they're dropping down to a B or C, I liked what you talked about of really kind of discovering that why. So I want to switch gears. I want to go into a fun fact about you. You have skydived around 1,000 times uh, yeah, um, give or take. I think I'm 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 just underneath well, that number, but yes. Um, hold on, hold on. Like, how do you how do you answer that with a <laughs> eh, yeah? Like that it's not an easy thing to kind of ch- like. I, I can't. I'm trying to think of things that I've done a thousand times, <laughs> but skydiving there is a process. So how did the, how did it start? And then now, how are you almost at the thousand marker? Um, so this was, and you know, it, it it's funny. I mean, these these days, I um I. I definitely aren't reaching those um, those those dizzying highs a whole lot anymore. Um, but yeah, once upon a time, um, I was I was living in New Zealand. Um, I left the UK. I was traveling, living in New Zealand, um, and I was um, yeah, I was kind of introduced to the sport and very much a sport rather than a you know a one-off adrenaline rush type thing. This was like a learn to skydive, would learn to to fall in all manner of different ways and with all manner of different people and doing formation, skydiving, things like that. Um, and yeah, I just kind of stumbled into this hobby. Um, did the, you know, threw a few thousand bucks at it at the time I was traveling and nothing else to spend my money on. And while I was, was roaming around overseas and, um, yeah, before I knew it, I'd, I'd, I was a, a licensed skydiver. I had 25 skydives and I could go and jump wherever and with whoever the hell I wanted to and bought a, bought a set of gear and, um, and was off to the races, and that was my hobby um, while I was I was in New Zealand for a couple of years, and then Australia for another couple after that. And yeah, that was that was my hobby when I wasn't at work, and I was I was working um, for a, a, an exploration company. I was doing kind of two weeks on, one week off out in the desert in Western Australia, and so every two weeks I'd fly back to fly back to Perth and drive to the airfield, and I'd spend three or four days skydiving. You know, do five eight, 10 skydives a day and, and yeah, get coaching and go on skydiving vacations to places. And, um, yeah, it was, that was my hobby. That was what, what I did and, and, um, accumulated a bunch of, bunch of skydives, jumped in some really cool places. I jumped into a stadium in Perth. Um, they're, uh, Aussie Aussie rules football stadium, which was the, the by far and away the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. Um, made it in, landed on the pitch, um, didn't hurt anybody, myself included. It was a, a roaring success. 
um, and jumped into beaches places and, and done some, some demonstrations and a little bit of coaching and things like that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a great sport. Uh, it's what I love to be a part of. And, and honestly, when I, I moved back to Calgary, um, back in, when was that late 2010, um, bought a house, slowed down a little bit and, um, just never really got going with it again. Once, once I moved to, to Calgary and, and nowadays I play golf. It's, uh, <laughs> It's a little slower pace. Um, it's, it's a little less exciting, but yeah, um, hell of a sport. Um, something I'd recommend that everybody try once. If you can, if you're somewhere fun with with beautiful scenery, um, go and go and get yourself a tandem skydive and, and experience one of the um, one of the single most unique things that I've uh, that I've ever done. Certainly, um, but uh, yeah, that was that was um, that was life for a while. It was uh, it was great. No, no major injuries, a couple minor ones, but um, I think, God, if I played a thousand rounds of golf over a couple of years, I'd, I'd probably hurt my back at some point. So the odd <laughs> twisted ankle and, uh, and everything else was, um, was not, not entirely unexpected, but yeah, had a, had a wonderful, um, wonderful career in the sport there for a while. I, wow. It, it, that's incredible. I, I like that you called it a hobby. I think anybody listening right now that does like model cars or stamps, is like, oh, okay, well. This is now not exciting. This person was jumping out of a plane a thousand yeah, times. <laughs> however, however you get your kicks, right? And that's, you know, I would, I, for, for any of the golf nerds who are listening, I would say, a, you know, a, a well-struck four iron into a green still gives me a pretty good kick. So, <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, sinking a, sinking a birdie putt to win a match and, and take your buddy's money and still, still feels pretty good as well. But uh, when you talk about this, the stadium, you made it sound like it was just like, okay, we we have the opportunity, but then when you're like, nobody got hurt, was, was this like for a game? Like, were you like, like a, a, like yeah, a part was, of the it entertainment? Was for a fundraiser. Um, yeah, it was, it was for a fundraiser. It was, uh, it was in Perth. They were, there was, it's um, just like a, a, a massive fundraiser that's kind of hosted by, a number of kind of TV personalities and radio personalities and things. And a couple of guys and girls from the radio station that was hosting this big kind of telethon fundraiser, um, you know, had sought out the opportunity to do a skydive, a tandem skydive into the stadium. And as, as a fundraiser, it was like, you know, throw, throw money at them to do this, this crazy thing. And yeah, right place, right time. It was, um, you know, I was, it was a day I was back from work. I called, um, called the owner of the, the skydiving operation that we, we jumped with and said, Hey, you know, are you guys jumping tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, whatever. And, you know, how soon can I get out for a jump? And he said, well, you know, we'll actually be in, we'll be in Perth. We've got this, this event on and, you know, what licenses do you guys have? Do you have demo licenses? Are you, are you able to do, um, do demonstration jumps? And yeah, we've, we've got demo licenses. I said, well, let me see what I can do. And, um, you know, he, he let us hop on the plane and before you know it, we were, um, yeah, we were filming and, you know, taking some, some video and some pictures of, of these, uh, these kind of minor celebrities doing this jump. But that also meant the only place to land anywhere near the stadium is in the stadium. So we, uh, you know, it was part of the plan. We, um, we went out and we, we filmed a couple of these, um, these people doing their jumps and, and then got the, got the hell out of the way and, um, flew around in the sky for as long as we could while they landed and then just kind of came in at the end and, and touched down and yeah, terrifying. I mean, we, at, at the time we would land in an area about a quarter of the size of that pitch outside of the hangar where we would, would skydive and, 
you know, we try and land as close to the air conditioning as possible in summer in Australia. And um, <laughs> so we had this huge, great big field, but when you surround it with roads and houses and train tracks and everything else, it suddenly looks very small. Um, so it was, yeah, that was a, that was a unique thing. I can't, I can't imagine doing anything like that again um, at this point. Wow. That's, I, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm literally speechless. That's absolutely incredible. And yeah, I, I've never skydived. Of course, I think I've come to one of those indoor things and it, it gave me a bit of the bug. I'm like, still, still not off my oh, list. Still not off my list. Those are, so we, and we used to do coaching in those things. You know, I would go and work with a, with a coach and, you know, fly in those indoor, like the wind tunnels. Mm-hmm. There's one out in Whitby, right? I think, right. There's one, there's an ice slide next to, is it Whitby consumers maybe? We have one, one in, we have one just in Mississauga, um, just off the highway. Yeah. There's one in Mississauga too. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think one opened in Calgary after I left too, but we would go to one of those um, in Arizona that had um, a couple of world champions who who trained out of there, and and yeah, we'd go and get coaching, and we'd fly for you know thirty minutes out of an hour, two of us just kind of two minutes on, two minutes off, and get coaching and improve your skydiving, same as you can with, with so many things, but you could do it very intensively in those those wind tunnel environments. It's really neat. Um, it, was, it was really good fun. It was a nice kind of side part of the of the hobby as well of the sport. Wow. So last thing I would like to find out from you is what advice would you have for a new associate at Good Life Fitness? Oh, wow. Um, be open to anything. Be honest about your abilities and be willing to push that as hard as you can. I think there's so there are so many opportunities within Good Life, um, within every facet of the company, within every department in the company. Whatever job you take on as a new associate, if you want to push yourself and if you want to learn and you want to um, to progress, there are going to be opportunities. So keep your mind open to that. Ask all the questions. And um, yeah, if you seek out opportunity, you will find it within Good Life. Well, Doug, I can't thank you enough for talking with me today and and sharing so much incredible insight about you know bringing your a game and really kind of focusing on that attention and 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 probably inspiring a whole bunch of associates to reach out to you and talk about getting into skydiving i i wouldn't put it (laughs) past your email lighting up being like okay where do I go? Where are the best places to jump and how do I get into a stadium? Yeah, uh, listen, my, uh, <laughs> my email is always, uh, it's always open. I'm never too far away from it. So, um, certainly if, uh, if anybody has any questions about it, find me a note and, um, I'll happily, happily point you in the right direction. Well, that's our show. Thank you again to our guest, Duncan Mitchell. A reminder that the CanFit Pro Online Global Conference and Trade Show opens today, August 13th. So you can find the link to register in the show notes. The Good Life Podcast 30 Minutes With is produced by Rochelle Lowry and our intro outro song is by Ketza. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.